Welcome to another edition of Locked On NBA. Today we'll discuss how serious of a threat the Rockets are to the Warriors, and if Anthony Davis, fresh off of another 50-point game, should be a serious contender for MVP. Then we'll get to the latest news on Kawhi Leonard's injury rehab and look ahead to tonight's games that could impact the playoff standings. It's Locked On NBA. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing. Let's start the show. You are Locked On the NBA. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, let's do this. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for the Step Back and Fan Rack Sports. You can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Romillo, a credentialed NBA writer who's covered the league at large for SB Nation, Fan Sided, and Fan Rack Sports. And you can follow me and my writing on Twitter at DVRomillo13. We're going to start with this Pelicans-Suns game. The New Orleans Pelicans won last night, 125, beating the Suns, 116. Uh, Anthony Davis, 53 points in the game to go along with 18 rebounds, five blocks, three assists. The Brow continues to dominate. Um, look, I mean, it was a good win for New Orleans overall. This is a team that is now post DeMarcus Cousins going down, has has risen to fifth place in the Western Conference. They're 34 and 26 now. This is a team that, despite missing Boogie and because of the play of Anthony Davis, is still a serious playoff contender. In fact, they are, like I said, fifth in the Western Conference. They're above the Oklahoma City Thunder at this point. I mean, just another good win for New Orleans. They just kind of keep trucking along here. Yeah, they're 7-3 and three over the last 10 games. Uh, and we've seen reports from Davis where he says he's going to adopt a much more aggressive approach to close out the season. It's one thing when DeMarcus is in the lineup that you kind of have to defer to him and and let him get his points because obviously the the Pelicans are stronger when you can get a three-point shooting big like DeMarcus Cousins out there. But for Davis, he's going to be much more aggressive, actually saying that he's going to adopt the Russell Westbrook mentality that he had last year in the MVP race. And so uh, obviously that paid off for for Westbrook in his uh, MVP consideration. And of course, he won the award last year. But I guess that begs the question whether or not Anthony Davis is a legitimate MVP candidate this season. You know, James Harden, I think, is still the front runner. The, the, the Rockets have the best record in the league right now. Um, they're they're still they're rolling. We're going to talk about the Rockets here in a little bit. And I, I still think you've got to give James Harden the edge at this point. But this late push by Anthony Davis is is at the right time. Now, you see, like, a lot of MVP candidates have, like, their streaks. And Anthony Davis right now, he's having his moment. You know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he had his moment earlier in the season. Steph Curry had a moment. Kevin Durant had a moment. Uh, LeBron James had a moment. You know, these are guys that are all sort of in that mix. But look, what Anthony Davis is doing with a bad Pelicans roster, if he's able to lift his Pelicans squad into the playoffs in the Western Conference, he's got a real shot at this. Like I said, I still think Harden is is your favorite right now. But I'd probably put at this point, Anthony Davis at number two, Giannis maybe three, and then you've got to discuss, you know, if you're talking about a top five here, LeBron James and what he's doing in Cleveland, you always have to give him a consideration. You, you want to think about maybe having a warrior in there, Durant or Curry, but right now I think Anthony Davis is as good as a shot as anyone outside of James Harden. I think he needs to keep this going for a little bit longer in order to receive much more serious consideration. But I don't know that Harden's production this season is any better than he was last year when he came in second. I think the success of the Rockets, and there's no doubt about the fact that they're a successful team this year, is basically because of everybody embracing their role that's been with the team for the last couple of years uh, and, and, and taking it up a notch, but also the addition of Chris Paul. So if that's the case, if it's just a stronger supporting cast, why is Harden all of a sudden the, the leading contender? He's the best player on the best team. 
sure, but it's the best team because it's a team, oh. because it's a group of players that's playing at a high level. He should have won it last year, right? Over well, Russell Westbrook. You see, but you see, that's a, again the same consideration. It's you know Westbrook's team maybe didn't play very well, but nobody had more of a singular impact on every nightly basis than Russell Westbrook. His point production, his assists, his rebounds—sure, some of those might have been you know ill-gotten. Maybe he chased down one too many boards that really didn't you know, belong to him. But either way, nobody had a bigger individual impact. And so what, what's what's the basis of the award? It's a discussion you and I have had on a number of occasions. But mm-hmm. valuable is, is such an open concept for so many players, so many people, period. Anybody who's voting for the award has a – I think the standings are going to matter a lot in, in this process. Because you're right, Anthony Davis sort of has that Russell Westbrook um, kind of uh, uh, resume right now, you know, Um lifting up a lesser roster to get into the playoffs when another star sort of goes down. Russell Westbrook obviously was without Kevin Durant for different reasons. Anthony Davis is without DeMarcus Cousins, but similar, um, you know, situations for both of them. But if, if, if the Rockets finish ahead of the Warriors in their regular season standings, I, I just think Harden's going to get it. Like, I, I just don't see a way that Harden doesn't get it. If Houston ends up with the, probably a, if, if definitely the number one seed and he still probably has the edge if he has the number two seed, but look, I mean, how how high do the Pelicans have to finish in the standings in the Western Conference for Anthony Davis to say, like, look, you know, yeah, sure, Harden's got the top record in the league, but he's like you said, got Chris Paul, he's got a deep roster, he's got Mike D'Antoni for a coach, all of this, all of these things. I'm Anthony Davis and a bunch of Solomon Hills, basically. Like at some point, wh- where do I stand? Where do I get up into that? I think right where they're at right now is fifth place in the West. You got to give them serious consideration. Yeah, I agree. Um, Let's move on to the, to the that Rockets team. The the Houston Rockets beat the Utah Jazz last night, ninety six to eighty five. James Harden, our MVP leader right now, twenty six points, eleven rebounds, five assists in the game. But a little bit of controversy towards the end of that yeah, game. Right? Uh, look, the, the the Rockets were shorthanded. They were without Clay Capella, no Ryan Anderson, no Eric Gordon. So part of that depth that makes the Rockets so dangerous. Uh, not even available to him, but still somehow able to pull ahead there. But really what it was was, uh, you know, an impressive defensive display from Houston. Um, they were really able to tighten the screws on a team like the Jazz that doesn't necessarily have, a, a, you know, a, a legitimate go score. Donovan Mitchell obviously has been a phenomenal rookie this year. I don't know if he was able to necessarily overcompensate for the, the defensive pressure that Houston was able to put late in the game. But there was also a free throw disparity that a lot of Jazz fans were alluding to on Twitter this morning uh, and last night. Uh, you know, there was a, a lack of free throws there, a perceived lack of free throws, particularly in the second quarter when the Rockets shot 11 free throws and Utah didn't shoot any. Uh, it wound up evening out for the most part. Houston finished 19 of 25 and the Jazz finished 16 of 22 at the line. So it wasn't that much of a disparity. Uh, but either way, it's, it's an interesting game because – Although we didn't expect a, a huge uh, scoring output, uh, the Jazz were able to control the pace the way they, they certainly thrived doing. Uh, you know, they were able to limit them to under 100 points, Houston, that is. And that's something that can be uh, that's pretty impressive. I don't know if it's necessarily enough to build upon as far as, uh, you know, any kind of playoff uh, push or anything like that. But it was a, a pretty strong showing from Utah, despite the fact that they wound up losing by nine, 11, rather. You know, you you mentioned that pace. Uh, that game was played at a pace of ninety-four point two, right? Which is substantially. That's almost you know ten possessions, per, you know, fewer than what the Rockets typically average. Um, and, and and then Houston again. I mean, twenty-seven percent from three-point range. The Rockets managing to win this game is is a 
you know, it wasn't a pretty game by any means. It's not the Houston Rockets game. They didn't dominate necessarily that third quarter. They right. won 31 to 19. That's really what gave them the edge in the game. But, you know, this is the type of test. I think about that that Warriors team pre-Kevin Durant, right? And everybody talked about, well, they, they win every game in blowouts. Like, they're not – what happens when they get tested in the postseason? What are they going to do, you know? And they ended up losing to the Lebr- like LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers in the 2016 finals. Um, a lot of ways – and because there was adversity today, right? The whole Draymond Green situation, et cetera. You know, and, and I think you've heard a lot about that about this Houston Rockets team is, look, they win a lot of games in blowouts. What happens in the postseason when games typically will slow down? Maybe when those shots aren't falling, what happens with James Harden, who hasn't had all the, the you know, the most success in the playoffs? Same thing with Chris Paul. What happens with these guys when they're really tested? And this was a game, now granted, it didn't have like the playoff feel to it necessarily. It was a competitive mm-hmm. game, but it wasn't up that to that sort of standard. But it was a tough game for them, and they had – they had to face adversity. Like you said, Utah controlled the pace. Their three-pointers weren't going in, and still they found a way to win. And James Harden led the team in scoring with 26 points, but Luka Amute had 17 points, went 7-7 seven seven from from you know the field, shooting-wise. Um, Nene contributed nine points and had some had some quality minutes in there. So, you know, this to me, if you're if you're Houston, this is a good sign for them too, because if you talk about really what the goal is for them, right? And I think at this point, the goal is making the NBA Finals and winning the NBA Finals. This is a team that's won 13 straight games. And they are number one, like we said already, in, in the Western Conference as far as record goes. So if they continue to show this sort of ability to battle through adversity, they could be a legitimate threat to the Golden State Warriors. Now, I'm not ready to go that far and say that they are yet. I still think we haven't seen the best that the Warriors have to offer. But the Rockets are damn impressive right now. Absolutely. Look, the Warriors' biggest challenge this season has been themselves. Um, when I, you know, I talked to the team earlier this year. Uh, you know, one of the things that that they kept bringing up was the fact that it, it's just difficult to find something to challenge themselves with on a nightly basis. You know, they've been through this for so many seasons now, where they played at such a high level that it's difficult to go through the grind of the regular season and feel any kind of inspiration. So. I think, you know, they can get a little sluggish at times. They can get a little, you know, stuck in, in, in their, the, the system and, and the way they do things. You saw that recently when Steve Kerr handed them the clipboard, just kind of changing things up because otherwise it's it's hard to get through, again, that 82-game grind. Um, but I, I think they'll find a way to, to turn it up a notch. So I'm glad you brought that point up that we probably haven't seen the very best version of Golden State just yet. Now, I'm not sure if the Rockets, if they were playing at their best – even if they would still be able to knock off Golden State in a seven-game series. Because I think this free-throw issue, which I'm sure a lot of Jazz fans will point out today, is that you know it, it won't be as much of an issue in the playoffs. I think Harden isn't going to get those calls. Chris Paul can't complain his way to an extra free-throw or two. He's not going to change the, da- the game in their favor. Uh, you know, based on the free throw line. So I think it's going to be, it's going to matter whether or not those shots fall. And ultimately, I still think Golden State's defense is at a much higher level than Houston. We're going to talk about whether or not the Cleveland Cavaliers changing their offense will make a difference. Uh, the, the Cavaliers losing a, a tough game the other night. But uh, first, quick reminder that Locked On NBA has moved to a new five day a week format. Think of it as your bite sized briefing for the most important stories around the league. So subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, David, there was a story this morning that um, Cleveland Cavaliers coach Ty Lue thinks that the offense is too predictable and is reportedly introducing an offensive structure that feeds the ball from the elbow, that triple threat position, right? And so obviously 
LeBron James is probably is going to be facilitating mostly from the elbow if they implement this new sort of offense, maybe. Um, unclear if it's a revamp of the offense or if Ty Lue is just adding wrinkles to the offense. But, you know, based on Cleveland's last game, their last loss, they really do need to, I think, fix things because their offense isn't built in a way that really, I think, takes advantage of the personnel that they acquired after the trade deadline. So, look, if if LeBron James – before I get into that, what do you think? Do you think that this is the offense that the Cavaliers need to implement, more LeBron James from the elbow, and then eventually, of course, when Kevin Love gets back, he'll probably be involved in that as well? Uh, it, it's tough to say, right? I mean, this is this doesn't feel like the right time of the season to actually do that, but, of course, they've made such wide-sweeping changes following the trade deadline that uh, there hasn't been any time to incorporate anything differently. But as a team, they just never practiced very much. Um, and if they're starting to incorporate some of this now, you wonder how quickly this team is actually going to be able to pick it up, incorporate it, and not just that, but thrive in it. So I'm not sure. It seems like much ado about nothing to me. Uh, it's nice to introduce these kinds of wrinkles occasionally, but I think the what drives that Cavaliers team is and will always be LeBron James. It's just the nature of who he is as a player and how that team is built. And it's just a matter for him to kind of incorporate, find a way to incorporate those new players, particularly Rodney Hood. His production has dropped considerably since the acquisition. He's taking less shots per game. They're not falling at the same rate. So, um, you know, guys like Clarkson, Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance, they pretty much maintained what their production was with the Lakers. But a guy like Hood and even George Hill, to a lesser extent, need to kind of step it up. And I think that's up to LeBron James. So one of the things that Ty Lue pointed out in Dave McNenman of ESPN's story was that he told the new guys, don't defer to LeBron as much. You know, do your thing. Try to find a way to get your points going. But let's be honest, that's not how the Cavaliers run as a team. Ty Lue has managed to run the wrong offense all season. You know, David, you know that I'm not a big fan of Ty Lue. I just, I don't think he's done a good coaching job this year. And I don't mean this as an attack on Ty Lue. He just hasn't. He hasn't done, he has managed to run the wrong offense all year. He doesn't give Kevin Love enough touches in the post. Um, you know, this team is running a bunch of like dribble handoffs and, and just, you know, guard on guard screens and pick and roll actions and pick and roll, well, pick and pop actions really that just seem a little out of place. Like J.R. Smith isn't the most threatening player in a pick and pop situation and yet I see a LeBron J.R. Smith pick and pop maybe four or five times a game it's it's just it bewilders me how mismanaged that this team is we can go back to how Kevin Love was playing center for most of the season even though he didn't want to be playing it and and Cleveland's defense was historically bad right and he just it just seemed to be the wrong offense and the wrong implementation of the personnel this team makes sweeping changes at the trade deadline and they're running the same offense now I get it like you can't you can't make all these changes and then revamp the offense all at once. But look, you had that all-star break to figure things out and they didn't figure anything out. And then they come out and lose, you know, 110 to 94 to the Spurs and an embarrassing performance. I mean, LeBron had 33 points in the game. Nobody else really contributed a whole lot. Jordan Clarkson had 17 points, but it took him 14 shots. And that was, that was Cleveland's second best offensive production there. They need to make changes. They need, and they need to make it now. And I don't think it's going to be all that difficult because you're right. Everything starts and ends with LeBron. This should be, LeBron James, pick and roll, game in, game out, play in, play out. Look at those Houston Rockets with James Harden last year. That's your offense right there. That's the offense. And when James and when LeBron James isn't on the court, make sure Kevin Love is on the court once he gets back and healthy and just post him up and just run your offense through Kevin Love over and run some el- some of this elbow stuff that you're you know so hot on, Ty Lue. Do some of that with the second unit with Kevin Love. But when LeBron is in there, this should be pick and roll with all these guys. I mean, if you've got LeBron James surrounded by shooters – 
Well, then use the shooters because right now they're not. And I think that the offense is really it, – it, it is predictable. It's not effective. And when at the end of the day, it just ends up with LeBron James just sort of trying to figure it out at, at, in the last second. I mean, there was a play against the Spurs, of the, that, that game I alluded to earlier, where he had to basically elbow his way into two guys on the baseline and put up like a contested shot at the at the end of the shot clock, and it went in, and Twitter went crazy because LeBron James is amazing. But he shouldn't be shooting shots like that. He should be getting easy shots at the rim because of pick-and-roll situations and stuff like that. Ty Lue is playing mismatch basketball. He just tries to move people around and get switches and stuff like that, but it doesn't work when you only have one guy who is an actual mismatch in LeBron James, you know? Yeah, I mean, you can't underestimate the value that Kevin Love will add once he returns from injury, but how likely is it, in your opinion, that he's going to defer to a guy like, or LeBron James is going to defer to Love, rather? I mean, you're talking about running the offense through Kevin Love, and while that sounds great and ideal, perhaps, for this cat. No, when Kevin Love is on the bench, I mean, or no, when LeBron James is on the bench, you run it through Kevin Love, and like, you just, you've got, I don't think it's likely at all to answer a question. I don't, but I think Ty Lue needs to run more stuff in there to get Kevin Love post-ups and where he's comfortable, because he doesn't, like LaMarcus Aldridge posts up twice as much as Kevin Love does, and Kevin Love is a, by post-up possession a more efficient post-up scorer than even LaMarcus Aldridge, who is elite. He was an all-star this year. Yeah. They've got to figure it out. But um, Speaking of the Spurs. Yeah, the return of Kawhi Leonard. Is it? Like, we, this is an ongoing story. This is a weird story, David. Um, look, the guys only played nine games all season, um, and, and you know there's conflicting reports here, but right now ESPN is reporting that, he's, that Kawhi spent three weeks working out at an NBA Players Association gym and is seeking further consultation on that quad injury that he's aggravated. Um, so what's what's your take on the situation? I mean, now that Kawhi is, if, he, if he's seeking outside consultation, I mean, that kind of does continue to speak to the rift that may or may not exist between Kawhi and the Spurs. But he's apparently returned to practice with San Antonio, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, it. So, I mean, I, as far, okay. So, I mean, I, I think we some part of the mystery was, you know, that the Spurs for the first time in their 20-something years of, of Popovich-led, you know, uh, uh, awesomeness, really, um, that they kind of didn't seem to have a grasp on what was going on with Kawhi, that they might have rushed him back too soon uh, when he played nine games earlier this year. Uh, he's been out since mid-January after that nine-game stint. And, and, and so there was, you know, concerns whether or not Leonard might be butting heads with the Spurs for an office and pop himself. And so that's why he kind of took a break from the team. And like I said, and like you mentioned, you know, he spent, went, spent that time in New York, um, you know, seeking that additional consultation on the injury, but apparently he just wanted to work out in his own way. Now this all comes a week after Popovich said that he didn't think Kawhi was going to play at any point this season. Now, not only is he going to play, but it seems like he's coming back in March at some point, just enough to, you know, push the Spurs deeper into the playoffs. Look, they're holding on to the third seed right now. Uh, they've got a challenge in Minnesota, but obviously the Timberwolves are going to be without Jimmy Butler for a bit. Uh, New Orleans, you know, maybe they can continue to make a push if Anthony Davis continues to play at that MVP-type level. But for now, it looks like the Spurs are, are just basically hanging, handing, uh, handing on, hang, uh, hanging on. <laughs> and uh, Well, look, 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 how, how, how good can San Antonio be? Let's say Kawhi comes back in March and he's somewhat healthy, 70 80%, whatever you want to put on it. Are they the third best team in the West? I I, I kind of like what Minnesota is able to do with Jimmy Butler, but I think their youth and inexperience will ultimately get to them. They they can be victimized in the postseason. I think yeah. now a team like Oklahoma so City. Uh, I, I, 
I maybe up there with Oklahoma City, who doesn't look particularly good of late, but I still have to give a nod to guys like Westbrook, Paul George, and Anthony, Carmelo Anthony, that is, who have been in the playoffs so many times and are very well versed in what to do during a, a seven game series. So um yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a tough it's it's kind of tight there as far as who the third best team. But the Spurs with Kawhi, at the very least, they can challenge a team like Houston because I think Kawhi will be well rested and he'll be ready to to you know put the, the, the clamps down on a guy like Harden and prevent him from getting those usual points. So it, it could be very interesting. Without Kawhi, we saw San Antonio basically just fall apart in the playoffs last yeah. year against the Warriors, right? So I'm with you. I think with with Kawhi, they're probably right there with you know try we're trying not to be so short-sighted with the thunder's recent struggles and i'm with you i think maybe oklahoma city's four right there uh, as far as just playoff power ranking sort of situation here i'm i'm so so but without Kawhi, they, i don't think the spurs have a chance, chance and i think they know that um speaking of another spur patty mills uh recently heard some racist chants uh when when san antonio played in cleveland the other night um you know unfortunately this is the type of stuff that you don't want to hear, but it's it, this still happens. And for Cleveland and then the Cleveland Cavaliers organization, uh, credit to them, they did ID the heckler and they have banned that that person. Um, but it's just the sort of thing that you just don't want to hear going on. But it does. This is the sort of thing that exists. And you know, you talk about what LeBron James is doing um, within the community, or just sort of as, as being sort of the spokesman for the NBA right now on on you know racial issues like this right now. And, and it's just an interesting thing that it happened in yeah. his. Oh, absolutely! Hometown. Look, a couple of weeks ago, I think prior to the All Star break, there was a, a I want to say a jazz fan that kind of got into it with Russell Westbrook when he was on the sideline. And you know, you and I both are cover games pretty regularly, and we see fans interacting with players in a way that they really shouldn't. Um, you know, while this wasn't a one on one interaction, just to be able to yell that, and you could hear it. Pretty clearly over the broadcast, if you haven't seen the video, do yourself a favor and listen to that just so you can hear what you shouldn't do. And it's unfortunate behavior because, well, I mean, there's just no place for it at all. Like, like we tend to yell at these players because we dehumanize them. We see them on the floor and we don't necessarily consider the fact that they have lives outside of basketball because we, we love the game so much or we're so obsessed with it. But there's no place for this kind of BS uh, no kind of no room at all for this you know, interpretation as far as these kind of racist chants, and they were absolutely racist. So, look, you, you got LeBron uh, this summer making a decision. We've seen some news recently um, about you know the Philadelphia fans putting up billboards trying to lure him, but it's this kind of behavior that's going to influence him. You know, this it's the kind of thing where you know he sees the town the town that he's playing for, the city he's playing for, and everything that he's brought to the city of Cleveland. And to have that kind of racist there, whether you think you're being a good fan or not, that's just unfortunate. You don't need to hear that, especially when a guy like LeBron James is as active and, and, and you know, fighting racism and promoting so, so many different causes. So it's, it's you know, it's a terrible, unfortunate situation. Moving on to our final uh, headline here. There will be no punishment for Zaza Pachulia for, quote unquote, accidentally falling on Russell Westbrook. Um, from the ESPN, ESPN's report, uh, quote, will not receive any discipline. So that's also happening right now. Don't forget that in addition to the daily Locked On NBA show, the Locked On Podcast Network also has a daily show for your favorite NBA team. So go ahead and subscribe to both your team's channel on iTunes or your favorite, or your favorite podcasting app. By subscribing to both Locked On NBA and your favorite team show, you'll be covered with everything that you need to know every day. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's get to some of the big games uh, tonight, David. So there's, there's three games in particular tonight. 
uh, that will have an, that could have an impact on this on the playoff seating right now. The first one, let's talk about Washington at Milwaukee, 8 p.m. Eastern time on TNT. This is going to be a this is a really important game right now for the Eastern Conference standings. Who do you like in this one? Um, it's at Milwaukee. The Bucks have a two and one season lead over Washington this year. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting because uh, you know the Wizards are going to be still without John Wall, but they've played better over the last ten games. They've gone seventy three, and, and Bradley Beal has had a monster production. You know his his, his numbers have really gone up during that stretch. So I kind of like Washington for the upset here because even though they're high, they're they're higher ranked in the standings. I still think that they might be able to pull it off. They've got some really nice production from guys like Kelly Oubre and Otto, Otto Porter and others there to make up for the loss of Wall. So I, I like their depth a little bit more than Milwaukee. Yeah, Beal averaging twenty three points a game um, in the last ten games. Washington seven and three in those games. I like where they're at right now. Look, they're still a better team. I think when John Wall's on the court, of course. But they're they're playing well right now. I'm with you. I think I think the Wizards got the edge in, in tonight's game. It'll be a good one. Um, it can ultimately make a difference when it comes to to seeding in the Eastern Conference. Um, the next game uh, at night after after that TNT matchup, the next one is the LA Clippers at the Denver Nuggets. That one coming that that's following Washington at Milwaukee. Um, Denver right now has they they beat the Clippers in their one matchup, but that was before the Clippers made wholesale changes to the right. roster. So um, and Paul Millsap could be returning, so watch out for that as well. Uh, I kind of like I kind of like the Denver Nuggets in this game. I think that Nikola Jokic gives them something that I'm not sure the Clippers are going to be able to uh, to answer. Yeah, look, they're gonna both teams are seven and three surprisingly over their last ten games. Uh, but you've got guys like Gary Harris and Jamal Murray playing at a really, really high level. The emotional boost that Millsap's return will bring to this Nuggets team, plus they're playing at home where it's so difficult to play in that mile-high air. Uh, I, I have to give the nod to Denver, especially with the Clippers team that's you know missing so many key players as they have throughout all the, the, the season. So uh, I, the Nuggets are playing at a high level. Whether or not that's sustainable during the playoffs remains to be seen. But for now, I think they pull out with a win. And the final game um, with some playoff implications in the Eastern Conference, Philadelphia at Miami. Now the Heat have struggled against the 76ers all season. Philadelphia is two and zero versus in, in the series so far, and they're playing well, right? Joel Embiid's playing well. Obviously, Ben Simmons is is doing his thing. And the Heat have struggled lately, even though they got a much needed win against the Grizzlies. Miami in the midst of a five game homestand. They won the first one, like I said, against the Grizzlies. But like I said, Philadelphia—that's been a tough matchup for them all season long. Um, this, this is this is a game in particular. With, when you look at the standings, could have could have. This is a type of game that Miami is going to need to win again because Philadelphia right now is two games ahead of the Heat for in seventh place. Miami has a, a, a nice hold on the eighth seed right now. But if they want to move up, this is the type of game that they're going to have to win. Yeah, both those games that Miami dropped were at Philadelphia. So even though Philadelphia is eight and two in their last ten, including a win, a two point win over Miami, I still like the Heat's chances in this. You know, uh, they can be a, a on and off team, as you and I both know. Uh, we talk about them pretty extensively over at Locked On Heat, so you should definitely listen to that as we'll recap tonight's game. But I, I, we think, I think personally, that Miami has a chance to knock off Philadelphia at home. I think a guy like Hassan Whiteside can do. Uh, a much more he can have a much more consistent game than we've seen from him recently where he can bounce back against a guy like Embiid and I think with their depth 
kind of building up again with the return possibly of Kelly Olenek. Uh, or, or Rodney Magruder is definitely going to be out today, but they're, they're going to be, I think, a better team over the next few games. And I think against Philadelphia tonight, they have a good chance to show it. So I think they understand what's at stake here and they'll pull out with a victory. And this is the last time these two teams played. It, came, it was right before the All-Star break and it came down to a possible game-winning shot uh, by Dwayne Wade. So these teams are close, right? Yeah. So I'm with you. I think Miami having this game at home and being particularly motivated to win this one because the stretch that they're in um, is so important. I'm with you. I like Miami. So we both like Washington. We both like Denver. We both like Miami. Yeah. Um, well, that's all we have for you today. You can subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We will be back next Tuesday. John Corrales and Jake Madison got you on Locked On NBA tomorrow. Thank you for listening.